0: NBC no. News was forced to get off of home base because we thought it was too dangerous. They said too many people are getting hurt.
1: There were ten people that were taken off site.
0: A lot of people have been talking about these fires, but it was so much more than that. Podcast ninety nine.
1: Hello, welcome to Podcast ninety nine. I'm Ryan Lichten, and today we have another survivor story for you. Today's survivor is Brad. He worked at Woodstock 99 having missed his opportunity to go to the original Woodstock shortly after graduating high school. He originally volunteered but then got a paying job although it didn't pay that much but you'll hear all about that towards the end of the story here. This survivor story is full of good vibes funny anecdotes. He actually um, out of everyone that we've interviewed has had the most in-person close contact with michael lang himself so that's very interesting and he was there for a couple days before a couple days after and even went to um something that we didn't even know happened a an employee appreciation picnic that took place on the grounds of griffiths air force base two weeks after the festival had ended so lots of interesting stuff here i hope you enjoy it this is my talk with survivor brad all right, folks. We got another survivor story for you today from Woodstock '99. I'm here with Brad. Uh, now, Brad, you contacted us. How did you hear about Podcast '99? Facebook. Okay. Yeah. They, we we've been getting that a lot recently. I feel. Do you think that like it's the documentaries kind of sparking everyone's memories and bringing them together?
0: Absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was going probably the summer of 2020, like I told you, when. I also contacted the HBO doc people uh, because they were looking for people's stories from Woodstock 99. And so I think uh, that's when they got the ball rolling for them. And then eventually it came out maybe 21, fall 21, about a year ago, maybe. Right. And then the Netflix uh, train wreck followed that.
1: Right, well, I'm glad that uh, that we bagged you, you know, and we got you on on this show, the quintessential Woodstock '99. Yeah, <laughs> experience. the feeling's mutual. <laughs> so the year is 1999. What are you doing in your life? Like, how, okay. how, how what what goes on? Get us into it. Sure, I'll give you the rundown. In 1999,
0: I was a 48 year old mail carrier in Syracuse, New York. Uh, I was looking definitely prior to that, at least by the spring. To hook up because Woodstock '99 was taking place this time, only forty miles from my house. So originally, I was uh, looking to latch on to the family of Woodstock. Okay, they they've been uh, you know uh, part of Woodstock all the way back to '69. So I hooked up with them. I went down for orientation in Rome. And then fast forward, I think I also applied for a paying job, which wasn't that important to me, but, uh, I don't, I don't know if it was the same day they called me or they called me in advance, but anyways, they wanted me to come down on the Wednesday before Woodstock to interview for a job. And they interviewed me and said, I would be at one, uh, of the, um, entry points, uh, you know, the gates. And they would have uh, local bands, smaller bands playing there. Right. And I'd just be kind of, I don't know how much you knew about that. I, I, I forgot oh, about yeah, most of it.
1: I forgot about that. I mean, because we had all the local newspapers and everything. So I knew about that. I even uh, somewhere around here, I have the list of the bands that even played. But you're the first person that we've spoken to that even knew that that was going on. 'Cause most people, yeah. you know, they were just trying to get into the actual festival. They're not trying to see the parking lot stuff, you know. Sure. <laughs> but uh yeah, the tailgate. But real quick, what are the uh what what is the family of Woodstock you said or friends of Woodstock? Okay,
0: family Woodstock, you know, you're dealing with people who needed any kind of help. You know, whether they were, you know, freaking out and hallucinogens or they just needed direction. And they were just one segment. And then you had the peace patrol and the other people. But I'm trying to think you guide them to medical tents, uh, any any way they needed help. And, you know, uh, probably a lot of it was probably or, you know, drug oriented. So, sure. you know, kind of help them down. And they they told us about that. I do remember them. Uh, somebody asking, what would be your worst case scenario? This was an orientation. I don't think it was me, but I think somebody was talking about. The heat, oh yeah, and and that turned out to absolutely be the case. And as we all know, and then you know the proverbial four hours bottles of water and all that other stuff. Right. But uh, yeah, they I would say that was the main thing for the family of Woodstock. I've still got a shirt from them. And like I said, I was all set, signed up, ready to go with my next oldest brother. We're only a year and a day apart in age, and we were all set to go. And then the Wednesday before. I believe that day I may have gotten a call and they want to know if I would come down. So they interviewed me and I don't remember where somewhere's in the headquarters in the hangar. And I drove all the way back to Syracuse and I called my wife at the time to tell her I was back because I was at a letter carrier union picnic and my son <laughs> got on the phone. He said, dad, they want you back to the Woodstock. And I said, no, Matt, I just came from there. He goes, I know, but they want you to come back. For some reason to, I guess, probably to interview for a different job. And I was I was definitely confused. I go, OK, here we go. We're turning right around. Right. I right back the same day, 40 miles back the road, in New York. And I was in the headquarters. And that's when I was talking to Michael Lang himself. And then he said, so you're a postal worker. And I said, yeah. He said, you're not going to go postal. Are you? He made oh the old God. postal joke <laughs> yeah. to me. And I go, no, we were sitting right in his office. He said, okay, I believe, I don't know if he called it being a runner, but that's basically what I was. And I was all over the place for four days,
1: you know? So, I mean, well, first of all, the the family of Woodstock thing, that sounds like the hog farm from the original, like like from the original. Yeah, pretty Woodstock close. Kind of, yeah. Pretty close. Um, and then, but so, I mean, I'm assuming that you were a fan of the original kind of Woodstock era or, or at least, you oh. know, Oh, man, you don't want to know. I had three (laughs) friends. I was 18. Listen,
0: everybody's got a story. Mine isn't one where I was there. Mine is where I gave up the fourth seat in a Volkswagen bug. And my other three friends were going down there. I just graduated from high school, summer of 69. And I said, listen, I watched Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite says, you guys are not going to get in. Well, (laughs) here we go. They drive down on Saturday. The cars are left and right, already off the road, parked on both sides of the road, Route 17. Don't they drive almost right up to the Woodstock 69 stage? Wow. Yeah, I showed them. Yeah, yeah. I showed them.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so what's it like, I mean, having all those memories and and the lore of Woodstock and all that, and now you're sitting in front of the guy who created it? I mean, that's oh, got to be bizarre. I'm
0: telling you, yeah, it's like, wow, is this really happening? I mean, I realize 40, I'm 48, but I'm still bit of a groupie i guess when i'm you know i'm right there in the thick of things you know and then right away his assistant one of his main assistants was pilar law you'll see her in the train wreck movie okay she was my boss throughout woodstock 99 okay so right away she puts me to work that evening on wednesday before woodstock And we're in the back of a Ryder rental truck sorting out all the shirts. The shirts were a big deal. Oh, yeah. So we got the Peace Patrol shirts we've got the probably maybe red um medical emergency shirts maybe and then the purple family of woodstock shirts I have about probably,
1: I have about 8 or 8 or 9 different woodstock 99 employee shirts there was like box office family services lost and found uh I, uh yeah medical peace patrol like so you had to sort that, all those out
0: yeah so anyways we're sorting them out and i God, it had to be after midnight. Now I'm driving. I'm so wound up. Okay. I'm really wound up. I get back home and I asked my wife, I said, I need a beer. And I just <laughs> slammed that beer and she fed me. And I'm still buzzed, telling her everything that's going on. But on the way home, I had a stop at the Turning Stone Casino and I picked up all. No, I dropped off all the credentials for the bigwigs and the celebrities, like Kelsey Grammer, you know Rosie Perez, you know. Oh uh,
1: yeah, the the uh, introducers for for the stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
0: wow. Dropped off their laminated stuff because they asked me to. Because it was on my way home in Verona. It's right on the way home, so I dropped that off and then I continued home. I don't know if I got to bed before two o'clock, but the next day my brother picked me up, and now we're going to start thursday morning and i think i got a phone call before i left the house and said brad you have to get here back here now because you took home the keys for the rider truck oh so all the shirts in the truck were all locked up because brad clary took the keys home by accident <laughs> yeah so anyways okay so my brother and i get there i believe we brought bicycles in his caravan And I locked mine up and immediately proceeded to lose the key for the entire weekend. (laughs) So my bicycle was locked up for the whole weekend, (laughs) right? Yeah. So anyways, uh, we get there and we're running around. We're doing all kinds of stuff. I don't remember every little errand I had to run. But at some point, they told me I needed i had a jeep cherokee and i needed to go back to the turning stone thursday probably somewhere around noon and i had to pick up um two or three women they were all background people you know they were big wigs you know running the show and they were all from new york city and so i'm driving down route 365 from rome to verona and it's three lanes going west and three lanes going east towards Woodstock. The three lanes going east were bumper to bumper. Nobody was moving. They're playing frisbee in the highway. Wow. Okay. So, anyways, I see this uh, state trooper. Sorry, it's a little warm in here. No, I got it. I see this state trooper, and I remember his name like it was yesterday. I said, "Listen, officer," I said, "I got, I got uh, some people I have to pick up." And I, I don't know if I said they were VIPs. I probably did. And I picked him up the turning stone. And he said to me, I said, is there any other way to get back? He said, okay, here's what you do. He says, when you come back, you drive on the shoulder, on, the, on this westbound shoulder, I'm going to drive east. Okay? I'm driving the wrong direction wow. on the shoulder. Oh, this gets better. So, anyways... I pick up these three women, I proceed to drive on the shoulder, and the traffic, that westbound traffic is moving, not a ton of traffic. And the other side, I'm telling you, it's three lanes wide, it's bumper to bumper, everybody's coming in on Thursday, right? So anyways, um, I'm going down, and I don't know, whichever one of the women was in the front seat, she goes, Brad, I don't know if this is a good idea, right? So we're driving down, not fast. And all of a sudden, this big black state trooper, he had to be the proverbial six foot three. He flags me down. He sticks his head in the window. He says, You mind telling me what the hell you think you're doing? (laughs) He was ready to kill me, Ryan. So, anyways, the women are freaking out because we are driving on the shoulder in the wrong direction. And right away, I spit out the other trooper's name. Okay, I had him because I had a trooper's name. He knew I wasn't BSing him, right? So I said, uh, Trooper Atkinson told me, he he just he just winced because he wanted to kill me. And he goes, listen, he says, you will not do this now or anytime in the future, pull a stunt like this. I go, okay, now how do I get out of here? He said, you go straight down, you take your next left, there was some back road to Woodstock. Okay, so I got the three women there. I'm sure they were pretty freaked out, you know. And, uh, that's
1: Woodstock baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we get back there running around. Um, uh, let's see, you know, now I'm, uh, I remember picking up, you know, the photographer, Henry Diltz,
1: not familiar, but okay.
0: Well-known photographer going a rock and roll photographer going all the way back to the sixties. He's super well-known. I picked up him and his son and his nephew got them to wherever they were staying. I don't think they were staying at Griffith's air force base, and so I remember taking them that night. It was just ongoing. And then I was in the hangar. This was Thursday night. And I believe they were having uh, a birthday party down below, not Bootsy Collins, but the other George guy. Clinton. Thank you. Okay. So weed is just the smell of weed is just coming <laughs> from the hangar below us up to the headquarters. They're below us. And it's only Thursday. The show doesn't start till Friday. So, So uh, George Clinton's having a good old time down there. I went down there and stood on one of the, um, you know, uh, uh, metal stairways, you know, looking down. It was pretty wild. You know, I don't even know who made the cut to go to this thing.
1: But right. Well, uh, but my understanding is Thursday was a pre-show, so they had music on the West stage in the daytime. And then at nighttime in the hangar, it was George Clinton's birthday party. And that was all leading up to the opening day. Now, were you staying there the whole time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What What, what was your accommodations like?
0: Oh, we were in the former military Air Force barracks. Okay, and all the showers were cold, but at least we had showers and beds. OK, and we had a big contingent of uh, Canadians that were also volunteering uh, like me uh, at this point. I'm not volunteering. I'm getting paid. But they were volunteering probably mostly, again, with the family of Woodstock. And they were there to see um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the big band from Canada. Net- Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're all weekend. They will make great friends with them. They would say, Brad, Brad, you got to see the hip. You got to see the hip. And I did. And they were great. But the Canadian people, w- what a blast they were to hang out with. So we're in these barracks. And, of course, unlike everybody else, we could bring our own beer. And oh, somebody yeah, brought ice beer in. I don't. I, the whole weekend, I've never slept less in my entire life up to then. <laughs> you know, 48 years. I've never slept like Always on the go or always back at the barracks telling war stories about your day. And then, um, yeah, so I don't remember how much sleep we got. We're drinking iced beer that night. We had a we had one of those monster coolers, uh, a friend of mine from work, who also bound there. He got a pain gig, too, and he winds up with a Jeep Cherokee. Just I don't know how he wangled his way, but we we're original two mailmen from Syracuse who were looking to, uh, you know, volunteer for free, and both of us wound up with paying gigs with vehicles wow. and all access pass.
1: You know, it's okay? funny. I mean, you guys were you, you were a mailman, so it's like. You have experience delivering stuff. Obviously, it's not the same, but I lo- like. Were you noticing that maybe some of the other staff that were employed did it? Did it seem like last minute? Or because I mean, you got your interview what Wednesday? Did a lot of this stuff seem last minute? A lot of these employees seem last minute, kind of hired. Or?
0: Hard to say, to be honest. I don't. I think all the volunteer people, you know, the people. I think they were all lined up just like me. In fact, I called them Thursday morning and told you know I had a contact uh, phone number. And I told them uh, that they that I couldn't make it and that, that I got working for Michael Lang. And they said, no problem. Uh, I think, I don't even know if they asked me to turn in. Yeah, I, it seems like maybe they asked me to turn in the badge that I had for that. I wound up giving it to my son's girlfriend at the time and she got it. So she used my badge. I've, I've still got my all access badge, you know, but she got my one from the family Woodstock, so everybody got one.
1: Right. That's all cool, I guess. Yeah.
0: And you probably know the story. A lot of those peace patrol people, as soon as they got inside, they ripped off the shirts. They saved one hundred seventy-five dollars. What? There was absolutely no accountability.
1: Right. No. Were you around? Because um, I know that the peace patrol they had their own barracks as well. I mean, were you crossing paths with with that crew? I mean, or was there a difference I between the them. the kind of like the groups of different employees?
0: I don't remember if uh, if uh, it seems like I was uh, basically staying with all the, uh, family Woodstock crew, even though I wasn't, uh, you know, part of that anymore, but you know, you found any port in the storm as far as where you're going to sleep and take a shower. And I don't remember seeing groups of them, but I certainly saw a lot of them when I was down at the stage. Okay. And so, uh, let's see, now we get around to Friday And I don't remember where I was, probably running an errand someplace. I don't think I was goofing off. And then uh, Pilar, my boss, she called me on the walkie-talkie and we'll say, you know, it was right around noon. And she said, Brad, you have to get back here like now. She was firm. And I said, okay. You know, she's like half my age. It didn't matter. She was my boss. And so I get back there and it was because I had that all access pass. She wanted me to take these, you know, and take get in this vehicle with these people. I wind up getting in a Volkswagen, this genuine hippie Volkswagen bus, and I'm in there with wavy gravy.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So I got wavy gravy, some dude driving, and there was a third person and me, so it's four of us. And one of them says, wow, just like 30 minutes till you know the kickoff. And I said, the kickoff of what? And they said, the kickoff of Woodstock 99, man, you're taking us to the stage. And I go, whoa, okay. So now we're driving right through literally hundreds of people. You know, they're you know, it's like parting of the seas. We're driving real slow, and these guys are amped up. Wavy Gravy's got that. He had one of those uh, plastic fish on the end of a pole that he's walking <laughs> with. You ever seen people do that? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a plastic fish. He's all weekend. He's got the plastic fish. So anyways we get to the east stage the main stage and that's where they had the what i would call the professional security people they i don't even know if they had uh peace patrol shirts on but you knew these guys were different they were the paid hired uh, hired guns the steroid guys and i'm telling you they it was like again parting of the seas and we got up on the stage and the buddhist monks are bringing out those horns that were like i don't know 20 30 feet long right Mm -hmm. and so i had a cell phone the first time in my entire life i'd ever used a cell phone was on the stage of woodstock
1: 99.
0: wow yeah i never used a cell phone and who am i calling i'm calling you know my ex my wife my ex-wife now at the time and i said you're never going to believe where I'm at. I said, I'm on the stage of Woodstock 99 with 75,000 of my closest friends in front of me, right? So there's a lot of people. And I guess there were balconies above the above us, okay? So um, I get out there, and I cross the stage. And, I mean, it's hot. You know, people, you know, if they say it was 90, it could have been 80. But I'm sure it felt a lot hotter than that. You're, I'm telling you, you are bumper to bumper to people so as you're facing out i am to all the way to the right and the buddhist monks uh you know they did their thing with the horns and their prayer and then after a long while if you watch a movie it took a while to get james brown out there or maybe some kind of dispute about getting paid mm-hmm. i think that was in the netflix movie yeah yeah and he he comes out and i'm 30 feet to his right and he just he's just putting on a show and I was watching right below me. It was scary. I'm telling you, I, I, I think I was shaking. My legs were shaking. And because I'm looking, I've never seen that many people, not that, you know, massive people right in front of me in my life. I've never been on stage for anything. So I'm just at the very edge. I've looked for myself in every video and picture. I've At the closest, I think I found the, you know, my lower part of my legs, you know, I was wearing shorts. It was hot. <laughs> sure. And I'm looking out and what the security guys were doing is people were cr- uh, crushed on, uh, we call them uh, bicycle racks, you know, those, uh, those steel, uh, grades they put right. all across the park. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So what they would do, they would physically lift people right over the gate, especially the the women and they lift them and they point left to right go. Okay. So you had the track on the stage, you know, filming everything, the camera that goes on a track across the stage, yeah. they were down below but they pick the people up, put them over the railing and just, you know, tell them to go left or right. In other words, just go, we're, we're keeping it from getting crushed. And they, it was just a steady thing like that. And then I, I guess I got a call on the cell phone. My boss wanted me back. So that ended my groupie stage, you know, with uh, <laughs> James Brown on stage. And then um, let's see. So that's Friday. I don't, I may have gone over the West stage once, um uh backtracking a little bit besides my brother i had his son my son and a third brother's son they were all working woodstock 99 oh wow
1: it's a whole family yeah. affair
0: huh yeah it was and then uh friday night uh i don't that could have been i don't know if it was metallica uh friday night it uh, seems metallica like Metallica would
1: have been the next day uh, Korn, Saturday. Corn was the really heavy band on Friday night, and then Bush uh, was the headliner. Okay,
0: it may have been Corn, and there was some young girl next to me. We were, I we were way back watching that at this point, and it, she was she was doing ecstasy. She was like. 17 or 18 i'm talking to her like she's my daughter you might want to take it easy you know <laughs> as far as you know what you're consuming and you know i'm giving her the dad talk you know right and she's definitely younger young enough to be my daughter so i'm talking to her a little bit and that was that night and uh saturday now saturday oh yeah so saturday I'm running errands and at one point we're walking around and I walked through a hangar and they had this one hangar. I think it was separate from the uh, hangar where the headquarters was. And that's where they had some show for, uh, you know, if you were doing ecstasy or something, they probably had a DJ and stuff. Oh yeah. The rave
1: rave hangar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. A rave hangar. That's what it was. Why am I getting old? So anyways, (laughs) We we opened up the door and I'm telling you it was like open up the door to vampires. Nobody wanted to see any daylight. <laughs> it, it was like it was like all these kids were all over sprawled all over the hangar, you know, coming down from the rave from the night before. I don't know what time it was. It wasn't the crack of dawn, but I just know we opened up that door. They couldn't wait for us to close it oh, because wow. that daylight coming in. You know, was just bugging the hell out of them, yeah, you know.
1: You know, I never, I never really thought about that. The rave hanger to us is always the most mysterious because there's, there was no professionally shot footage of it. It's all, like, the only footage you see is, like, handheld stuff. And, like, right. I know that that's where the most debauched stuff was going on. So, like, but it's funny to think about, like, oh, wait, but most of those people probably just stayed there like until it right. started again so yeah you come in and see that it's probably like walking in on like a zombie movie you know with, like them just like yeah let's out. make a weekend a, a weekend at bernie's in the hangar yeah. you know? <laughs> well and, and i want to go back really quick um sure. I, I i know we're on saturday but when you're driving towards the east stage before james brown comes on before the thing starts and you're going yep. through the crowd you have probably yep the best, most in-depth view, almost like a safari of going through, oh, yeah. with, like, what were the vibes like starting out? I mean, like, like did did you, could you foresee any, any troubles or a difference in, say, the audience from 99 versus what you know of 69? Or what was the vibe like? I didn't. It seemed like everybody was in a pretty good mood, not overly
0: amped up at this point. I mean, we haven't gotten to, you know, Fred, Fred Durst and, you know, that whole crew on Saturday at this point. But it just seemed like there was a pretty positive buzz going through the crowd. And I was I would say I was on that stage maybe 30 minutes before the entire thing kicked off. So I'm driving through. People were just getting out of the way. No problem. Just. Nonchalantly walking towards the stage, you know, in droves. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, but we were driving through very slowly, and you could see people were giving us the thumbs up in the in the bus, and Wavy Gravy sitting, you know, riding shotgun, waving out the window to everybody, and uh, yeah, that that was. It, I would say at that point. No. Uh, you know, the heat hadn't kicked in. Nobody knew what they were in for, right. good or bad. Uh, the beginning so of they the were assuming movie, it yeah. was <laughs> Right. The teens so, just got to camp. <laughs> right. So so they, you know, they were definitely digging it at that point. Everything was pretty positive. And uh yeah, I mean, everything was flowing pretty good. I didn't, and I'll tell you right up front. I, I am totally 100% aware the uh, aware of the negatives that went on over those four days. I never saw it, yeah. but I know it happened. Right. I'm not here to dispute it. I know what happened. We all did. But the, the, for me personally, it was almost all good. I mean, my son had some incidents, you know, later on on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's just, you know, you're seeing some people I saw – people like Dave Frasini, is a well-known DJ in Syracuse. I saw him as far as people that I knew, I wouldn't say I had a ton of people that I saw that I knew, but I was always on the go. Yeah. Always on the go.
1: Now, um but what kind of gigs like did your did your brothers and and your your nephews get? Were they doing the same kind of thing you were or did they have different jobs?
0: They were all over the place. I would see my next oldest brother Doug in passing once in a while. He his job was to get people on the shuttle bus. Okay. Mm. Oh, so, they, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he had to work maybe four hours a day or something. In fact, I filled out his paperwork without them knowing it when I went to orientation <laughs> because he couldn't make it. He had to work. Right. And uh, I like think that
1: Woodstock 99 logistically were a little lax, you know, uh, in retrospect, yeah. so it probably didn't oh, matter that the brother filled oh, out. The oh paperwork. my God,
0: Doug, Doug, nobody could tell a better story than Doug.
1: Well, he was putting
0: people on the bus, and there were these two chicks who walked up with a dog, and they were totally naked, right? <laughs> so, so my brother's there. Okay, it's Woodstock. So the bus driver wouldn't let them on the bus. Why? Not because they were naked, but because they had a dog, <laughs> and uh, th- that's that's the truth. They there was no problem with them getting on the bus. They couldn't bring the dog on.
1: Wow. So, Woodstock. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, I don't. And my my son and his best friend at the time, uh, they were working one gate and I think they were actually there checking people as they came in. And these guys were coming in with coolers and um, I think my son, Matt, he made some kind of a deal. Okay, you give me X amount of beer. And you can roll the cooler in. I mean, you know, it was, uh, they already paid their 175
1: Right, And, yeah. you know,
0: looking back, it was a heck of a deal, although you may not have thought about it. thought it was a deal in 1999. But even for that time period, it was a pretty good price. Now, that's for the ticket. We all know what happened with the rest of the
1: prices. Right, yeah. I mean, if, I you, mean, if you adjust for inflation, we found that a Woodstock 99 ticket was about – a half or, or maybe m- maybe like right around a half of what, like say a Coachella ticket would run you now. Like, <sighs> okay. You know, so it, it is like the pricing While It seemed extravagant. It wasn't, that bad really in retrospect considering what right. festivals go for now of course now you have a lot more you know amenities but yeah you know, but whatever that's funny though he's like taxing people for beers i mean that's a pretty good deal though because i mean if they had it just straight taken away they would have gotten just you oh know, yeah. fucked with, with prices right side yeah
0: yeah he was he he was making deals he had he had some great stories he was there with his girlfriend at the time and his buddy mike was there with his girlfriend and uh, they had a tent and uh yeah, I, I, I'd run across people like my, my, uh, n- my son or my brother or nephews. But at the only time I would see my brother for any extended period of time, because we we're staying at the same barracks, you know, each night as far as sleeping. But let me tell you, the, the showers were like ice cold. Right. But fr- Friday night, we were walking around and we found somebody's ticket on the ground. So we called the third brother, Brian, and he drove, you know, it's only Syracuse to Rome. It's only 40 miles. He drives. We meet him at the gate, hand him the ticket, and now he's in. So he's in on Friday night, and he finds out we have cold showers. And Brian's an elevator mechanic, and he decides to try and tinker with the showers in the barracks to get us hot water. He wasn't successful, but he was bound to determine. He was going (laughs) to turn that water hot, right? So now there's three brothers in there, two of them working, and there's, uh, you know, one son and two nephews. So each of us had a son there, and one was working the beer tent. I forgot what the other uh, nephew was working. So Friday night, yeah, and then we rolled into Saturday, and then there was a rave hanger, and then somebody was screaming that they didn't get paid, and I took a check for $10,000 from headquarters over to some vendor. I don't remember who it was and my, my buddy who my buddy from work, from the post office, he went to some tent and, uh, got ice and told them it was for medical or something. You know, that we had uh, like a tractor trailer full of ice, probably more than one. And he told them it was for the medical tent. They handed it to him. They went right in the cooler with the beer, you know? (laughs) So that, that took care of that. So, And now, Saturday, yeah, so Saturday, now we're getting into where things got crazy in the afternoon with the MTV tower. And uh, I am up in the office with Michael Lang and these other, all these people, and they're watching, I would have to say in horror, on the big screen in their office, watching Fred Durst uh, surfing on the plywood and the mtv towers coming down
1: and what's Lang's boy, say, like yeah. body language during that because you know like he famously kind of like brushes over a lot of that stuff and then netflix when he kind of pedals back a little bit and but not but not too much like i mean i mean was he visibly shook by any of that stuff
0: i think his natural demeanor is to be like what you saw in the movie he absolutely did not take uh any, uh, blame for a lot of things. As far as I'm concerned in the movie personally, he was a nice guy, but when you come right down to him and, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, John chair. Yeah. You know, he comes out as a real clown in the, in the Netflix. I thought, I don't think anybody liked him after that show. I didn't have a lot of contact with him. He was in the office and there was another, there was a third promoter. I think his name was Ozzie Kilkenny.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, they were up there, and I'll tell you, I, I don't remember people saying a lot, but they're watching this thing on camera Saturday afternoon up close and personal, getting, I would imagine, internally, they were pretty pretty nervous. But Michael Lang, he's, it, you know my, my uh, sense of him, it's one of those guys, never let them see a sweat. And if you go back to how young he was for Woodstock 69 and what they pulled off there, And, you know, it was pretty crazy, but they were not happy, to say the least. And, you know, I'm sure they could see this thing maybe going down in flames a day before it actually did, you
1: know. Now, on Saturday, I mean, as things are starting to get crazier, were you noticing kind of like this, like, parallel universe where it's like like the audience is going through this crazier time. The acts are getting crazier, yes. The place is getting dirtier. Were you noticing that behind the scenes things are getting more hectic as well?
0: Yes. It didn't seem to be a relaxed vibe. I'm sure it didn't even faintly resemble Woodstock 99 whatsoever. It was, yeah, you, you could, you could feel the negative vibe. People are, people are aggravated about prices, uh, aggravated about water, the latrines, you know, we've seen it all in the movie. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad I didn't witness a lot of that stuff. But again, I knew I knew it was taking place. And yeah, the crowd seemed to be edgier. And uh, after it was over, uh, Michael Lang was convinced that there were people who went to that show specifically to cause chaos. Like they were professional rock throwers without throwing rocks. You know, <laughs> they were there. They were there, I mean... Yeah, the agent provocateurs,
1: yeah. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. But anyways, yeah, Saturday Saturday afternoon, yeah. And they were, I think before that, I had, I believe it was Saturday afternoon. I'm not 100% sure. It could have been Sunday morning. But I had to go to Hancock Airport in Syracuse to pick up Jimi Hendrix's sister. Oh, and her husband. And I see my brother, Brian, walking down the road. Okay, he's the one we got in with the found ticket. Right. And I said, hey, Brian, you want to go with me? I got to go to Hancock and pick up Jimi Hendrix's sister. Right. And he goes, sure. So Brian gets in the Jeep. We go to the airport. We pick him up all the all this time. I'm thinking I got 40 miles to talk rock to be a rock and roll groupie about Jimi Hendrix, right? Janie Hendrix's husband, I forgot his name, finds out my brother Brian's an elevator mechanic, and he starts talking about how he gets panicky inside an elevator that gets stuck. And next thing, the conversation is dominated by my <laughs> brother and Janie Hendrix's husband talking about being stuck in an elevator. I never got to talk about Jimi Hendrix for <laughs> For a second, all the way back to Rome, <laughs> and I wanted to kill my brother. No, not, not a
1: single like. Oh, were you no, proud of no, him? Nothing.
0: <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I'm there. I, I, I don't know if I said anything. For our him, but show,
1: God. that's that's a funnier story than had you have had like a deep conversation about Jimmy right, Henry's legacy. Right, for podcast right. ninety nine, I'm glad that it was elevator talk. Yeah,
0: I know. It only could have me. There's something about that route three sixty five between Rome and Syracuse. Whether I'm getting. Pulled over by big New York State troopers or losing the groupie conversation with with Jimmy (laughs) Hendrick's sister. And, yeah, that was that. And uh, so we got them back there. And let's see. So Saturday night, now we've got Metallica. Boy, they put on a heck of a show. I think we got rained on. That yeah. night, Saturday
1: night. Yeah, there was a uh, uh, there was actually a lightning warning. Uh, as, as at least on the west stage, the artist Chemical Brothers had to stop for a second and say, you know, if if lightning strikes, everyone, you know, and kind of give an instruction of what to do.
0: Right. I was way back, and but you could see it and hear it. The sound system, as you would expect at a big concert like that, was pretty good. You know, in my opinion, um, you know, I'm not a pro when it comes to sound, but I I like what I heard. And Metallica put on a hell of a show. Yeah. You know, Saturday night and uh, Sunday morning, it just seemed like a lot of people are just, you know, yeah, we got to we want to get our money's worth watching to the end. But they were tired. I suppose you would be after any show on day number three or four. And but, you know, it's it just all oh, that air just stunk. You know, the air by the hangars. you know, from the latrines, if the wind was blowing that direction, it just stunk.
1: Were, were you yeah. surprised at all that things had, like, deteriorated that bad by, by that point? Yeah, I must have been.
0: I was probably naive. In fact, I contacted, after the Netflix, uh, you know, uh, documentary came out, I had no contact with Pilar Law. But I figure, what the heck, I'll see if I can find her on Facebook and send her a message. And I said, "Polar, we did have a good time, didn't we? She goes, oh, yeah, Brad, we did until basically everything went south. And then she said, do you remember when our own security people rioted? And I don't remember that. That must be, I don't know what that meant, whether those were the paid guys in front of the stage or people, I guess, you know, anybody was getting paid security versus the peace patrol, which was unpaid, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what she was referring to. And uh, yeah, I mean, Sunday, my brother was down there pretty close when the red hot chili peppers came down. I think he saw the fires, you know, the you know, everybody knows they handed out those candles for the peace thing. And yeah, you had people down there and you saw all the pictures, you know, the Mercedes Benz, I think on fire, the ATM machines, the true value tractor trailers, they were just, these people, they were like animals, man. When they were down there, I wasn't that close.
1: Yeah. But where where you, were you at when kind of shit started hitting the fan?
0: I would, I would have to say I was pretty far back almost to the point. I didn't realize just how bad it was. I believe I got out of there and somehow I wound up back in the headquarters above the hangar and one of the guys said to me he said he was in a rush he had a look of panic on his face basically um kind of you got to look out for yourself um you know <laughs> where, where, oh they were abandoning ship like crazy and this would have been Sunday evening and we were there till Monday to see the aftermath you know and then you had the state troopers and riot gear, you know, you could see them coming in. You could see smoke still from that area like that. It was just like, it was like a bad hangover, you know, by the time Sunday rolled around when all that, when uh, no, I don't yeah. know that anybody saw it coming. They may have, you know, professionals like Lang and Cher and those guys, they, they, they maybe had a better sense of when the, you know, when the crowd was really deteriorating, you know, when the right. whole thing you know, maybe they did. I'm sure they weren't saying anything, huh. you know, here we are 23 years later and John Sher is still acting like, you know, everything. Yeah. 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 Let I mean, Jesus take expect? the
1: wheel. Yeah. Um, you, you know, now you, you had mentioned that you graduated high school, what, around 1969, correct? Yes. Now yep. in your lifetime, I'm sure you've been to a bunch of shows, seen a bunch of crazy sure. stuff. You lived through all kinds of stuff. Uh, has it, does anything compare to what you saw unfold during those four days at Woodstock 99? Like, is there anything similar, like civil unrest kind of stuff that you say, Oh, this is like that. Or is there no frame of reference for what was going on?
0: Uh, probably no frame of reference. Cause I'd never been to a concert that big, let alone, you know, going to one at 48. I mean, you know, you're running to people half that age today and they've been to, you know, a dozen of them, you know, something that big or close to it. Of course, you'll never see anything that big again. You know, and, and that thing always gets exaggerated. Oh, 300,000. No, there was like 220. Okay, yeah. let's come down. It's like 220. But they always exaggerate for everything. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Woodstock, we all know Woodstock 69 wasn't as perfect as it was portrayed. But if that's your only point of reference, you, you're that's kind of your expectation, even though you're fast forwarding, you know, uh, you know 40 years, you know, uh, 30 years. And uh, it, I just wasn't ready for that, I, and I didn't. I was not expecting that. I don't. I don't know that anything like that has ever taken place at Coachella or. No, no, you no. Know, there, any, I mean, there's there's festival disasters room. here
1: and there, but but not on the the same scale. You know, um, right? Do you think like? Were you just thankful that you were there in a professional capacity where you had like an escape? Like, cause like, would you have left? Do you think if you had gone as just an attendee, you would have gotten out of there before Sunday? First of all, at my age, I don't know that I would have gone to begin
0: with because I was split on the groups. Sure. I mean, you know, when, uh, Jewel got up there and, uh, Crow, and you know, you got these dudes just hollering shit at them and stuff like that. It was really, it reminded me of a frat party. That's, yeah. and, and I'm not the first one I'm sure to say that. No, but not it was the yeah. big, with all the frat boys taking over the show. And as far as that goes, uh, would I have bailed? I've read a lot of comments on Facebook where people did bail. They were glad they bailed. Uh, I always sum it up I had a terrific time. I really had a great time, but unfortunately, there were too many people that did not. And uh, again, I'm well aware of it, how many, what crimes were committed to this day. I don't know, uh, you know, the numbers, but I have no doubt that it happened, you know, and then, you know, you get the people up there, they get caught up in like a feeding frenzy. You know, maybe those people weren't the type that normally ransacked tractor trailers or something like that, but they get caught up in the moment. I'm certainly not excusing it. Yeah, you know, we. we uh,
1: I actually just got an email from a guy who went to jail uh, during his time at Woodstock for really? looting, and he's like, you know, I owned a successful high-end house painting, sir, wow. like house painting company in Rhode Island, and you know, I was very successful, I was affluent, even, you know, wow. and for that weekend, I just fucking lost my mind, and he's like, and I ended yeah. up in jail, at, like, five, and then like it, he said that, like, and we interviewed another guy recently who said that that mentality like kind of fucked him up for the next couple years because he was like, he just couldn't come down from like this level of barbarianism that he had let himself get to so he's like every show I went to after that I tried to do like Woodstock 99 shit and it was like kind of messing up my life you know so I think you're totally right where a lot of these people they got caught up in it like and I don't think Lang is right where he says that there's groups that came intentionally to do that stuff but what I I think that they just got caught up in it and allowed themselves to get to a place mentally where they wouldn't otherwise
0: yeah neither one of us are making excuses but when you when you look at it and you know analyze it you know as a non professional that's how it, that's how it seemed to be I don't uh, I don't know that I agree with Michael Lang I mean we we had uh, an appreciation picnic about a week or two after that really yeah. yeah oh yeah there weren't a ton of people anybody who volunteered to work there uh, they brought it back uh, I talked to him briefly um, you know just made a little small talk with him. Uh, personally, you know, it was like the middle of the week. I would say about two weeks later, you know, in, in August. And we went back there, and that's when I scored that uh, sign out of his office. The offices were abandoned. So I grabbed it says, Welcome to the Woodstock uh, art, Music and Arts Fair or something. I still got that sign. Yeah, And I offered yeah. it back to – I tried to contact, I think it was uh, maybe John Roberts' daughter. There were three original – uh, guys, uh, I think there were three. They were all Jewish guys. It was John Roberts, Michael Lang
1: for Woodstock. Cornfeld. Uh, what was the other one? Cornfeld. Uh, was it Artie? No, uh, not from Kornfeld. The original there was
0: guy, as far as a money guy, I don't know that Cornfeld uh, had the money, but he was a part of it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but the, I met him, by the way. I met oh, wow. these guys. They they all came down to Woodstock '99. So somehow I got a hold of John, John Roberts, uh, deceased. Michael Lang obviously is deceased. I don't know if that third guy, but they were families basically bankrolled 69 because <laughs> Lang talked them into it. And you know, the rest of the story in the movie he was supposed to make the money back. Pay I'm, I'm sure it was in the millions and maybe there were lawsuits, but they were in the office. You know, Michael Lang made sure he invited the guys from 69 to come down. And Jesus, one woman uh, boy, she I had a lot of contact with her, her name was Lee Bloomer. And she passed away too, and I believe it was her cell phone that I had. She she had a lot to do with every Woodstock, but these were all New York City people. And uh, I remember I did make another trip to Hancock Airport, and this guy was a lawyer, and somehow I was meeting up with my uh, wife and grandkids at the time, and uh, he he. He said, oh. he said, oh, you got family and kids? I said, yeah. and you know, At the time, my son was probably in his early 20s. And he said, he was real nice. He said, my wife and I never had kids. But if you're ever in L.A., he gave me his card. He said, feel free to get a hold of me. He was Phil Collins' lawyer. Oh, I wow. know that. And uh, <laughs> that, um, oh, the comedian from Saturday Night Live. I can't remember his name. Um, he was real well-known. I think his wife murdered him or something like oh, that. Oh, Phil Harmon. Yes. Yes. He was his neighbor. Yeah. He wow. was, it, we had a nice talk on, you know, to the airport, the 40 mile trip and back. And, uh, he, he was pretty cool. There was a lot of background people, my shift. Uh, I w- or I was not working the shift when Rosie Perez was up in the office. Uh, Lee Bloomer gave me uh, the authority to hire another person to be a runner. She said, do you think this guy will work out? And I said, yeah, he's got a belt full walkie talkie. So I guess he's ready. <laughs> oh. I, he came equipped, you know, so we had a couple other guys and, you know, cause this thing, you know, there was always stuff going on around the clock, but Rosie Perez, I know they had a good talk with, with her. She was up in the office, you know, a lot of celebrities in and out. I, I couldn't even begin to name them all, but I had, like I said, I dropped off all of their credentials Wednesday night. So when they rolled in on Thursday, Friday or Saturday, you know, everything was there at the tourney stone. Cause they booked, I don't know. They probably booked half the Turning stone or more just, yeah,
1: we, we've interviewed a couple of people that were um announcers, like like um the East yeah. Stage host, um, Brother Weiss, we had him on, oh, yeah. and we also had Rick Va- Rich Voss on, and uh, yeah, they all stayed there, and they were telling me stories about, you know, you go down to play blackjack, and you're sitting there with like Vern Troyer from Austin Powers, and like, you know, like all oh, these yeah. like because they were all in the same casino. But I, I want to ask you, you know, you're talking about this sure. appreciation picnic. Um, we've heard so much from people that were there, what everything looked like the Monday after the Sunday when everything happened and like the smoke still coming off of the debris and all that. What did the place look like two weeks later?
0: It was pretty cleaned up. because really? <laughs> my,
1: my buddy and I
0: uh, were driving all over the base. Just I mean, you know, the runways all over the place. It's just a, a gigantic acres and acres of parkland. lot. We drove all over. Were you going and, really fast?
1: I would I would haul uh, ass on one of those things.
0: A couple of places. He was driving. Yeah. So, but we were all over the place. We were just having a good old time, killing time before and after the picnic. You know, in fact, we got pulled over by one of those uh, uh, Air Force guys. You know, it was still, <laughs> I think they still had Air Force units there. It's it's basically a decommissioned uh, B-52 bomber base, uh, you know, today. But we were driving around, and he, he—I don't know, man. This guy was just bent on thievery or something. But Eric grabbed these pictures, and they were air—they were Air Force pictures. He had them in the back seat of his car when we got pulled over. And I'm thinking, I—you know—I'm glad this guy didn't look too close because he'd probably be wondering. You know, how this, these two long-haired guys are driving around. They get, they got the backseat full of Air Force, you know, photographs Shit, yeah. or something, <laughs> you know. So they they just leased everything, obviously. You know, uh, Woodstock 99, uh, they leased everything. And so the pictures were meant to stay on the wall, but Eric grabbed them and probably did absolutely nothing with them. The only <laughs> thing I, I thought was cool was still there without it being part of the fence. I mean, you'll see parts of the fence, I'm sure you know. Uh, being you know sold on Woodstock, whatever. Oh yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, yeah. But I I thought that one was really cool. I think it hung right in, probably hung right in Michael Lang's office. I couldn't tell you exactly what they had. A lot of couches up there. They had microwaves. No shortage of food. Red Bull. There was you know the office. You know there was tons of food up there. You know for the people. But there was a lot of back what I call background people. Right. There was a ton of them. You know for something like that you you know it's not a big surprise what you got people it... in charge of the wall the bands you know, people getting paid
1: oh thousands yeah thousands of employees yeah. i'm sure now what was everyone's kind of attitude like coming together 2 weeks after what what you know was i'm sure still being reported on as being like the craziest festival disaster of all time best i know?
0: can sum up like that uh, like that was did that really fucking happen you know <laughs> i mean when you when you when you when you look back i mean I I watched the documentaries. I'm not afraid to watch them, and I'm just shaking my head because the documentaries obviously are focused on the negative. Sure. You know, I mean, Sean Higgins, when we – my last Zoom, uh, when he Zoomed, he said, yep, I'll be back there when COVID lifts, and we'll be back up there. And I thought, well, this would be pretty cool. I we'll got my brothers, my son, my nephews, any friends that work there, and we'll – you know, hang out at my house out in the country. I live south of Syracuse in the country, and I'm waiting. I thought this would be cool, man, if he got. Then you know, he never heard from us, and I said, okay, I didn't think much. Then when I saw the documentary, it all made sense. This dude did not. I mean, he was like my best friend on the Zoom call. Oh yeah, and, I mean that's how it is. He was yeah. like he he was a Syracuse. He was I believe he was from New Jersey, and he was a Syracuse University graduate. And now he's in LA as an HBO producer. And I'll, I, I'll admit it. I I sent him a nasty email. I said, "Well, now I got to figure it out why you never got a hold of me." You know, it wasn't like I needed my fifteen minutes of fame. I just thought it, this would be this would be great. You know, if, you know, if we got together and then got our side of the story.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, there's definitely a. I mean, on our show, we've always we definitely approached it at the very beginning as, like, we are talking about this because of all the bad stuff that happened. Sure. But that's not what that's not all we're talking about. And I mean, obviously now we've been doing it for years. We've talked to dozens of people. We know but that the that's story, what it'll be remembered for, right. That's what it'll be remembered for, but yeah. it's so much more than that. And, and you know, f- what we say is for every one person at Woodstock 99, that has a terrible horror story, there's probably at least 10,000 that had the time of their life. You know, I,
0: I believe it. I mean, I probably like you I uh, monitor all the comments on social media, that being Facebook. And that's the feeling I got. And I, I I don't, I don't disregard or blow off anybody that had a negative experience. I read it all, yeah, and you know just to see uh, what other people, just like what you're doing right now, getting everybody's point of view, you know, from different uh, areas, different angles. And I'll tell you, everybody around me had a blast. It was cool. Uh, you know, we saw some terrific performances. You know, they're really good. I, I know Dave Matthews said it was one of his worst. You know, as far as that goes, that uh, sounded pretty know, good.
1: Like, I, I've, yeah, seen, I've, I've seen, seen the video, yeah. personal opinion, not mine.
0: I, I've i heard him, yeah, you know, express that. I think he was tired maybe from a, a last minute plane trip from Texas, it seems like, or something to to come in there. But, um, you know, the women didn't have the best, uh, you know, reception, yeah, you know, they, and, they
1: didn't get a fair shake, yeah,
0: no, yeah. no, but, um. Yeah, I, my son was up in the balcony on the stage watching, I believe, Kid Rock. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I would yeah, love to he, talk he,
1: to you know like your sons or your brothers or a, anyone that you were right. there with, if they're interested. Please, we, we love okay. hearing the, like, you know, I love group stories and interviewing groups right. because everyone has their own thing, but it all comes together for the same story. It's like a very intricate film where it starts at the end and then, you know, <laughs> like it works its way back. Uh, That's
0: exactly what we were looking for had Sean Kiggins come to see. Upstate New York and yeah. interview. They were looking at it. it was, you know, it would have been cool. Well, you know, just all, to
1: all hang of, out. if it's any consolation, the HBO documentary absolutely got buried by the Netflix one. Uh, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, and we still have ours. Uh, "Burn It Down" is the title of it. That that ours. Is, okay, ours is yet to come out, um, but. Fingers crossed, it'll it'll be soon. But what's your takeaway from what's talking right now? Let's let's wind it down here. Like, what do you think it means? And and I, you know, once you got home and you start seeing it on the news, and and you were there and you had such a different experience as opposed to what the headlines say. Like, what's your overall takeaway? What what does it mean to you?
0: Looking back, if I got to be honest, it, it it seems for again for me personally, it was pretty positive. But overall, when you see the prices and you see, you know how it turned out. Geez, it's tough to tough to look at it in a positive way. And I think I think uh, my boss, Pilar Law, would probably agree with that. I mean, if we had to do it all over again, probably wouldn't. Always hindsight's twenty twenty. I I I don't know. There'd be a benchmark in my life like it would have been had I gone to Woodstock '69, sure. which were definitely more my groups. um, You know, I mean, right now I, I work at a local venue as a volunteer, as a ticket taker, real close to my house. And there were 18 shows this summer and I probably didn't know. uh, I only knew one third, six out of 18, but I never saw a bad show out of all of them. You know, uh, obviously the days of the big, you know, rock concerts outside of maybe Bonnaroo and Coachella, you know, that's a day gone by. And, Personally, when they were talking about uh, Woodstock, uh, 50, you know, 50 yeah. <laughs> Woodstock in 2019, I mean, I, I I contacted Michael Lang, I never heard back from him. I said, hey, have you uh, interested working that. But I certainly wasn't crushed when that thing, you know, it was supposed to be in Watkins Glen, south of Syracuse. They always wanted to keep it in New York, and that thing bounced around. That was that was a mess. I mean, I still can't believe they shelled out. I don't know how many millions of dollars, every single artist got paid and never, they never played a note. But as Easy far money. as Woodstock, <laughs> yeah, I know. As far as Woodstock 99, I, I just feel bad for, you know, the people that, you know, as far as the sanitary conditions and stuff like that, I, it's like, I was, you know, I was a living the life of luxury in comparison, just being in a barracks with cold showers, yeah. you know, but, but, uh, I, I had a great time, but, in hindsight, twenty twenty, um, yeah, probably shouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, you yeah, heard it here first, folks. From from Brad, the the pro runner at Woodstock ninety nine for laying himself. Um, I can't thank you enough for contacting us, man. This has been great. And anytime
0: uh... <laughs> you have any questions, Ryan, as far as I think I missed or. You know, shoot me an email or whatever. I think I can contacted. They were mostly highlights. There weren't a lot of lowlights. There were some funny stories. And uh, you know, I I, I think uh, you know, the, the trooper story and my brother and the bus story. That's great. And, That's hilarious to me. And uh, you know, the, the Jimi Hendrix sister story. <laughs> they were they were the three that stand out for me over over that. But I'll tell you, I never worked so hard. I had a terrific time. I was
1: tired. Do you remember and, ri- oh, one last question? Sure. How, do you remember how much you got paid like in total for that? I do. I do, because I've been a
0: federal employee all the way from the Army to the Postal Service. I never, I, I haven't had a paycheck in over 30 years that was not federal government where Social Security was taken out. Mm. I'm in the old federal retirement system. So then I got one. It seems like I got uh, maybe $300, maybe for the four days, something like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was no nine to five, you know, I mean, as far as, yeah, I'm sure it was paid by the day, not the, not the, uh, hour, but, uh, yeah, I, I but again, I, I had originally signed up to volunteer and here I'm getting paid. Yeah. So and I guess I anything's better than drive. nothing. Yeah. Oh. And at the very end. I said, how do I get my bicycle back? I walked into uh, this building. The whole wall had um, bolt cutters. It was just instead of guns on the wall, it was wall full of bolt cutters. And it's like, pick your weapon. We'll take care of that bicycle lock. And I got the. I, I never rode the bicycle for any of the four days, but at least I got it back at the end. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was just so funny. I just asked somebody. The guy, like, he smirked. He said, "Come here." And he said, "Which, basically, which bowl cutter do you think you need?" And the whole wall was wall of just lined with bowl cutters. Jeez, yeah, it was weird. It's a good thing but, that uh, the
1: looters didn't uh, find that fucking room. You know, they probably oh, would have gotten a lot oh, of more stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, like I said, I I look back on it. I, you know, I still got the shirts and the and the badge and the sign. And uh, we always laugh. We always have a smile on our face when we look back and laugh, and all the crazy stuff, you know, that went on. My my son got a call from his girlfriend on the walkie-talkie. Said, "Hey, they're ready to burn the tent or something like that." And Matt Matt ran back to it. I think he picked up a tent stake. Yeah, I think possibly it was going to get that bad. Oh wow! I, they, but, oh yeah, it wasn't just at the stage. There were there was shit going on in different places. And I remember him talking about that. He sprinted back there, you know, because his girlfriend called him yeah. walkie-talkie. Yeah. Her father gave them walkie-talkies, you know, for the for the show.
1: That's smart. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to anyone else that was in your crew, like sure. any of your family that was there. Like that. That's amazing. I love yep. that you guys were all there together. But this has been great, Brad. And uh, I'll definitely be sending you an Likewise. email very soon.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot, Ryan. I appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll talk in the future. All righty. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.
1: Wow, so that was another fantastic positive story. Definitely a, a different vibe from the last uh, couple that that we we had on, you know, um, so, so some of the partiers. I I loved this. I, I think it's great. I really hope that we get uh, some some of his uh, some of his kin on the show because you know we, we always love having having the multiple perspectives on the on the same experience. But uh, that's definitely, I mean, the the only person I believe that we've had on that had personal interaction with with Lang, except for maybe the vendor trio that, that we had on. But fantastic, Brad. Great, great survivor story. Um, if you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock 99, contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast99. We're also on Facebook at podcast99. Um We do have another show. I know a lot of you folks are finding us uh, recently. We do have another show that we keep up on uh, more regularly called Culture Dumps, where we cover different pop culture foleys um, in each episode. Some are multiple part episodes. So it's like Beanie Babies or Girls Gone Wild or Disco Demolition or uh, Faces of Death, whatever. It runs the gamut. There's... um, I think almost 90 episodes now of that. So check that out. That's Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten, and we'll uh, see you at Woodstock.